0: This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Familiar Spirits Sometimes, particularly when we're up against a hard deadline, or when internet gremlins have devoured a script due to a faulty transfer to our cloud storage device, sometimes we at the Word of the Week feel like we could really use an assistant loyal servant who could fetch our copies of the Brewer's Dictionary of Phrase and Fable, or the Encyclopedia of Mythology, or whichever edition of whichever core Dungeons and Dragons rulebook we need, or who could scurry about the internet, gathering up useful bits of research. And when we're feeling frustrated with how a particular script is going, someone to love us unconditionally but we already talked about dogs in our episode about wolves. And frankly, we're not really dog people. We like cats. The problem is, the cats are pretty independent little things. The only thing they fetch is half-dead mice and squirrels, and they fetch them whenever they want and deliver them to the middle of our living room floors, whether we want them or not. And their unconditional love extends only as far as they feel they've been petted enough. And frankly, it's pretty conditional. They love only as long as the food bowl stays full. Now that we come to say all of this, we're not entirely sure why we're cat people. But we are. Well, one of us is. If only there was some kind of magical spell or ritual that could transform a highly independent and frankly kind of surly animal like a cat into a faithful servant. Something that could flip the basic nature of a cat on its head. Or rather, that could unflip its nature. Because cats used to be beloved servants and revered companions... ...until divine intervention turned them evil back in the Middle Ages. But society paid the price for that. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We'd love to have a faithful helper, an assistant, a servant... And in the Dungeons and Dragons world, there's an easy way for the accomplished spellcaster to find a perfect magical helper, a magical spell called Find Familiar. As far back as the first edition of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, that spell allowed a wizard to issue a magical call across the ether, the thaumaturgical equivalent of posting a job opening on LinkedIn for a magical servant. After the spell is cast, a randomly determined animal will answer the job posting. It might be a cat, a crow, a hawk, an owl, a toad, or a weasel. In the rare and special case of a particularly lucky dice roll, because this is Dungeons & Dragons, a supernatural creature like an imp, a brownie, or a tiny pseudo-dragon might appear instead. While the creature, whatever it was, would be a perfectly normal, natural example of its species, the spell would imbue it with advanced intelligence, resilience, and an unshakable loyalty to the spellcaster. Now, we probably don't have to tell you that the idea of a magical servant that takes the form of a normal animal, a familiar spirit, is not an idea that's unique to dungeons and dragons. In fact, it's a common feature in many stories about witches and wizards. Harry Dresden had Bob the Spirit, who lived in a human skull. And the kids in the Harry Potter universe had owls and cats and toads and rats that were actually middle-aged men and all sorts of other animals. Of course, the kids' pets were just pets. The only magic they were involved in, the pets that is seemed to be the magic the kids were forced to work on them during their classes. It's curious that Hogwarts didn't just require every kid to bring a guinea pig. But then there was Mrs. Norris. She was a surly old cat who belonged to the school's surly old caretaker. Mrs. Norris would prowl the halls looking for rule-breakers, and whenever she found one, Argus Filch, whose name derives from a watchful guardian, Argus Filch, the caretaker, would soon show up. As if summoned by magic. Whenever you find a witch or warlock or wizard in the story, you're at least half likely to turn up some sort of animal spirit. Sabrina the teenaged witch had Salem, her pet cat who was actually a middle-aged man. And that's a creepy pattern to crop up. Gargamel, The evil wizard who was endlessly hunting the Smurfs had Azrael, the cat, whose name comes from the Jewish archangel of death. The wicked witch of the west had her flying monkeys. And every generic, unnamed, pointy hat witch comes with a black cat familiar free in the package. Etc., etc., etc. There are three things to take note of here. First, that the vast majority of magical familiar spirits are cats. And second, that more than a few familiar spirits are not actually animals, but simply take animal forms. And third, you might balk at the inclusion of Harry Dresden's disembodied spirit in a skull as a familiar because it's not a servant spirit in an animal form. But if you know anything at all about the stories from which familiars arose, you'll discover that Bob the Spirit is fair play. So let's unpack the idea of familiars. A familiar spirit, or familiar for short, is a supernatural being from European medieval folklore. But the idea is a lot older. It's just that things changed in medieval Europe. The word familiar comes from the Latin word, with the same root as the word family. But it doesn't mean family per se. It means part of your household. It refers to relatives who lived with you, it also referred to your servants and that's why a familiar is a magical servant well part of the reason the other reason is because of a very old idea that goes back to ancient greece but it became very popular in ancient rome see the greeks had this concept of a personal spirit a guardian or protector similar to the modern idea of a guardian angel the thing was called a daemon from which we get the word demon and we'll note that daemons flipped from helper spirits to evil fiends in the medieval period as part of a story that was very similar to the one we're about to tell about familiars. The Romans built on the concept of a daemon and invented the idea of a guardian spirit called a tutelary. Actually, tutelary deity is the generic term for a guardian spirit. And lots of cultures had legends about tutelary spirits. In ancient Rome, a personal tutelary deity was called a genius. There were other tutelary deities. There were those that protected households or entire towns or cities. And this actually gave rise to the magical practice of evocatio, or evocation. It's a Latin word that means to call out. The idea was that if you knew the name of the deity that protected a town or city or household, and you called that deity away from what it was protecting, you made that thing vulnerable According to some legends, Rome itself was protected by a tutelary deity whose name was kept secret on pain of death, so no one could call the god away from Rome. So, sorry, Harry Dresden and Dungeons and Dragons, evocation is not speaking forth magical power. It's calling a deity away to distract it. So you can get what it's guarding. Shall we digress? The point is, there was this very old idea about how people and households might have guardian spirits protecting and serving them. And if you knew the right magic, you could get them to do things. And there you have the seeds for familiar spirits. Meanwhile, let's talk a little bit about cats. For a long time, it was thought that cats were first domesticated in Egypt around 4,000 years ago. But these days, we know cats have lived alongside humans for hundreds of thousands of years, and were first domesticated in Mesopotamia in about 12,000 BCE. That's thanks to some genetic mapping, and the discovery of cat skeletons in human tombs that are over 10,000 years old. But even though cats weren't first domesticated in Egypt, as we once thought, they were certainly popular in Egypt. In fact, Egypt literally cornered the market on domestic cats. See, the Egyptians associated cats with home and hearth. They were protector spirits, and they were especially protective of women. They could see and scare off evil spirits. And they were wards against disease. And that's because they were the representative of the goddess of all of that stuff, Bastet, the cat-headed woman goddess. The Greek historian Herodotus claimed that a massive temple filled with cats lay at the center of the city of Bubastis in Egypt, and that the Egyptians revered cats so highly that they would rescue them from house fires over their own children. And this reverence was supposedly exploited by the Persian general Cambyses II at the Battle of Pelusium. According to the 2nd century historian Polyanus, Cambyses had his soldiers gather up as many cats as they could, before their attack on the fortified Egyptian city. The soldiers drove the cats before them, and many soldiers even carried the cats with them onto the battlefield. The Egyptians were so reluctant to injure the cats that they allowed the Persian soldiers to take the city. A defiant Cambyses, according to the story, rode through the city streets after the conquest, scornfully hurling cats at the defeated Egyptians and laughing. Which we have to admit, is a pretty hilarious image. Cruel, certainly, but hilarious. Is any of this true? Maybe, maybe not. But what we do know is that the Egyptians did hold cats in high esteem, and they were associated with the goddess Bastet. And because of those strong associations between Egyptian spiritual culture and cats, they outlawed the export of cats. By 450 BCE, there was a specific branch of the Egyptian government established solely to control the export of cats. And they even sent agents throughout the ancient world to collect cats that had been smuggled out of Egypt and return them. The punishment for smuggling cats was the same as the punishment for killing cats. Death. And there was a big market for cats across the ancient world. Apart from their great utility as hunters of vermin, which is why humans domesticated cats in the first place, cats were also ascribed all sorts of magical properties, especially those pertaining to health, home, hearth, and womanhood. And so they were smuggled into Persia and Greece by Phoenician traders, and they were often associated with magic. In fact, in Persia, for example, there's this legend that says the first cat was actually created by magic. See, there was this Persian hero named Rustum, And one night, he happened to save a magician from a group of brigands. Rustum carried the injured magician to his tent, cared for him, and then shared a meal with him under the stars in front of a warm fire. The magician asked what Rustum would like for saving him. Rustum shrugged and said he didn't know what to ask for. In that moment, said Rustum, sitting in front of a warm fire under the stars with a good meal... was perfectly content. So, the wizard gathered up the warmth of the fire and the beauty of the stars and shaped them into a kitten to be Rustum's companion forever. Of course, the Greeks had their own stories about cats, which also tied them to magic and health and pregnancy, but also put a slightly darker spin on them. And that story starts with a woman named Galinthus and her pregnant friend Achmeni, now, if you're a scholar of Greek mythology, you'll recognize Alcmene as the mother of Heracles. Heracles was the son of Zeus by way of Alcmene. And that's who Alcmene was pregnant with at the start of this story. Hera, Zeus's wife, was pretty angry about the whole affair. Especially because Zeus kept going on about it and his big plans for his awesome new son. You now it's fine to be a proud and devoted father, and we're all for that. But you don't want to rub that fatherly devotion in the face of your wife if she's not the mother. She's going to get mad. So Hera does what any spurned wife would do: she calls down Alithia the goddess of childbirth, and Hera's daughter, to go delay the birth. So when Alcmene went into labor. Elythea sat herself outside Aukmeni's room with her legs crossed tight and her arms crossed tight and even all of her fingers crossed tight. Apparently that's how the goddess of pregnancy stops a birth from happening. Aukmeni spent days in labor, but Heracles just wouldn't come out. And then her friend Galinthus figured out what was wrong. We're not sure how she reasoned that the goddess of childbirth must be sitting in the hallway outside cross-legged. But she did. Some stories say the Furies had something to do with that realization. Who knows? Anyway, Galinthus suddenly runs out of the room, right past the goddess, shouting, It's a boy! It's a boy! As if the baby had come. And Alithia is so surprised that the kid might have been born despite her efforts, that she jumps up to her feet and uncrosses everything. And in that moment, presumably with an audible pop and maybe the song of a heavenly choir, the demigod is born. Hera was so furious she turned Galinthus into a cat. But the three-faced bipolar goddess Hecate took pity on Galinthus and took her in cat form as a servant. Hecate is a weird goddess. She was actually the offspring of Titans, and she's depicted as having three different faces and sometimes even three different bodies standing back to back to back. During the day, she was as nice as you please and favored farmers and families and households. At night, she was a dark, brooding emo sort of goddess who was into ghosts and graves and magic and witchcraft. And that's pretty much the story that ties cats with shape shifting and magic and wizards and witches. But cats are still pretty popular, and they remained popular across Central and Northern Europe into the Middle Ages. As Christianity spread across Rome and into the lands beyond Rome, things took a very dark turn. See, as Europe hit the turn of the first millennium CE, the Roman Catholic Church was actively trying to quash out pagan beliefs of Central and Northern Europe. You know, all of the faiths and superstitions and folklores that had grown out of Norse, Celtic, and Germanic mythologies. And part of their strategy involved taking important pagan symbols and demonizing them. Hence, household daemons became hellish demons, And hence, cats, associated with helpful magic and good luck, were denounced as evil. This was actually codified by Pope Gregory IX in the 1200s. He issued an official papal bull, a pronouncement, that cats especially black cats, were evil. Satan often took the form of a black cat, in fact. And cats had killed many people across Europe. And it all caused a bit of a panic. But this wasn't just about squashing paganism. It was also an attack on a particular group of heretics. And they were known as the Cathars, or rather, they were the Albigensian Cathars, a band of ascetic monks from the town of Albi. ...near the Pyrenees Mountains in southern France. Now, the Cathar tradition spread from the Byzantine Empire. And while they were Christian and even claimed to be Catholic... ...they rejected much of the formal Catholic Church hierarchy. They didn't like the Catholic Church dabbling in the politics of the day. They didn't like the Church gaining wealth in the form of donations. They despised the practice of the buying of indulgences... ...wherein wealthy individuals could buy forgiveness for their sins with expensive donations... More than that though they believed in a philosophy called Gnosticism. The word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word for knowledge and it refers to an ancient belief that the material world is basically evil and only the world of the mind and spirit is good. One can escape the evils of the material world only by understanding the divine secrets of the universe. And everyone deserves that opportunity. Now Although this is a pre-Christian idea, it found its way into some Christian sects in the 1st and 2nd centuries and stuck around in small, isolated pockets of Christianity. The problem is that Gnosticism didn't really work with what the Catholic Church had become, or at least what the Cathars, whose name comes from a Greek word meaning pure believer, thought the Church had become. First, it had become unacceptably materialistic. Second, because only members of the church hierarchy were even able to read the Bible and all masses and church practices were conducted in Latin, the average Catholic person had no chance to really understand their faith. So they could never attain the gnosis. The divine knowledge needed to free themselves from evil. With the Catholic Church trying to consolidate its power and stamp out heretical beliefs, the Cathars, particularly the Albigensian Cathars, who were a particularly outspoken and sizable order, were already a problem. And then they, the Cathars, went and translated the Bible into common languages and started spreading it around. And thus it was that the Catholic Church instituted a crusade and inquisition against the Cathars. And among the many accusations leveled against them was that they worshipped satanic spirits in the form of black cats. In fact, some theologians even claimed, later, that the name Cathar actually came from a shortening of the word cat and the British slang term for your hindquarters that rhymes with sparse. And that was because, so it was said, when a Cathar took their oaths, they had to kiss the rear end of a satanic cat. And suddenly cats, and black cats especially, went from being good pagan symbols of luck and health and magic to being evil demons in animal form... who served heretics and witches. Which is why a black cat crossing your path is seen as an unlucky sign. And the idea stuck. Boy, did it ever stick. Cats were tortured and killed across Europe. And as witch-hunting fervor caught on, so were their owners. Between 1300 and 1700, cats were persecuted in Europe... To the same extent that witches were. And this is an odd coincidence... That more than one historian has noted. Because during that same period... Europe was racked by numerous plagues. Including the worst of them all. The Bubonic Plague. And... As we explained in our episode entitled Plague... That awful disease, which killed millions, was spread by fleas, which lived on rats, whose population numbers likely soared with the destruction of so many domestic cats. Because sometimes there's a bit of truth in these stories. In a very real way, cats really are guardian spirits against disease. And not dying of a horrible plague. Is way better than unconditional love and slipper fetching. And that's why we're cat people. This has been GM Word of the Week. It's written and researched by The Angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash GM Word of the Week. You can find more at GMWordOfTheWeek.com and TheAngryGM.com.